May the 5th, 1976. Probably my greatest hobby is just walking around living. You know, uh, some people make uh, uh, life their work. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't. You know, can't take life that seriously. No way. You know, uh, speaking of uh, hobbies, I'll bet you haven't heard of the secret underground hobby that is slowly beginning to develop in various parts of the country. And uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> you know, years ago, in fact... I think it was a long time. I can't can't remember how long ago that we warned you that there was a hobby of collecting old radio and television kid premiums. That was before it even hit big. You know, never now everybody. You know. uh, all right, here is here's a new sneaking up hobby, and you maybe even have the beginning somewhere of this hobby in your attic or down deep in the basement someplace. And the hobby is collecting old copies of magazines. I mean, really interesting magazines. Like, say, for example, uh, uh, oh, for argument's sake, a 1937 issue of Life. All right. And just you, what you do with these things is that you don't keep them in the files where you pull them out for people. See, without any, without any comment at all, you just, uh, you just leave it uh, lay there on the coffee table. Just like any other magazine, see. So, guy, guy comes to your house. There, he comes to your apartment, and and uh, you don't say anything about it. See, and all of a sudden, he picks up this copy of Time, and he says, "Jesus, 
strange looking. That Calvin Coolidge on the cover of Time. What's going on? <laughs> Such reading is thickly. It's not really nostalgia. It's much more than that. It's history. It's actually social history. Because if you read some of these magazines uh, that that you can pick up, you know, you pick them up for a dime or a quarter in a lot of places. Uh, not for long, though. I would predict that in a few years, some of these things are going to go for a lot of D E A U X bucks, buddy. Uh, but uh, you really, you really have more history in them. Actual social history than you have in the more uh, formal things that were written about times and places and stuff. For example, somebody, for no reason at all, somebody just sent me this copy, just came in the mail, and the guy included a note, see, and he says, I was cleaning out the basement, I came across this thing, so I just figured I'd send it. I don't know why he sent it to me, but he did. And it's it's a magnificent, Almost a mint copy, not quite. It's almost mint, not quite in the sense that the binding is just a wee bit frayed along the edge, but that's all. It's an almost mint copy of Fortune magazine. Now, I'm not a Fortune magazine reader, but this particular one is fascinating because it is a, a New York issue, a total New York issue, but it was printed in July of 1939. And it's a tremendous, big, fat issue in magnificent color with all kinds of spectacular uh, illustrations. In fact, inside of it, it has, look at this, it has a fold-out, magnificent four-color map of the city of New York, the boroughs, in all different colors, describing the waterfront and all that stuff, and Queens and Brooklyn and the populations, and day population, night population, different colors and shades. And uh, here's a fantastic picture of the night Manhattan. Looks just exactly what it does today, doesn't it? You you wouldn't even know the difference. Uh, it's a shot taken at night down on uh, a whole block. Looks right around, right, actually right in this area. Looks right where we are here, around 40th and Broadway. And it looks exactly like it does today. All the lights are glowing. However, what is fascinating in the difference is that apparently in 1939, there was a tremendous spirit of, of you know, almost everything was going to happen. It was going to be fantastic. The city was going to be great. <laughs> I mean, it was going to be the greatest thing since the invention of the pyramids. And it just runs all through this issue of fortune that uh, everything is just tremendous, very romantic. It's an extremely romantic attitude towards New York. And, uh, for example, here's a, here's a classic example. There's a picture by Saul... By Bellow here. It's not Saul Bellow. It's a, a great, uh, wait a minute, I'll find it here. The picture, they have uh, a lot of magnificent paintings they've re- reproduced in this. And, uh, and here's a great line. It's uh, They have an entire section on the Manhattan khaki uh, with the cab driver. And it says, the New York taxi business takes in $35 million a year in fares, rolls up over 1 million miles a day. To Harry Faber, badge 37046, it stinks. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Have you ever asked a cab driver what he thinks of it? You know, you're riding along. And, and, oh, I've, many times I've done this. You know, you, you're, you're riding along, down, you know, like going down Broadway in the traffic and all that stuff. And uh, you, you, you look over and you see his his uh, his hack licensing. You, you see you, you see his name, see, and you'll say, uh, "Hey, Sam." 
and he looks up in the mirror to see you know, if he knows you or not or what kind of a fink you are. See, and he looks up, and uh, you say, hey, Sam. He says, yeah, and you know my name. They always say that. So, well, Sam, it's right there on your hack license. See, they're always a little worried when you look at the license. They figure you're some, you know, some you're really after them. And invariably, the next line is, what are you, Inspector? Huh? You're from the Bureau? Meaning the Hack Bureau. You know, you're from the Bureau? You say, no, no, Sam. I, yeah, no, Sam, I just want to ask you a question. And he says, well, what do you want? And then you wait, just pause one second, let it soak in. You're going to ask a question, see, because there's cars yelling all around and the smoke and the steam. You know, birds are, you know, dropping stuff on the hood and everything else. And then you say, I want to ask you, Sam. Uh, how do you like uh, pushing a hack here in town? How do you like hacking? Invariably, there's a long pregnant pause, and he says, Are you kidding? <laughs> That's the New York reply. You know. Are you kidding? Well, uh, at that point, you, you know, you start getting the whole thing. Saying, ah, oh, the traffic, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, you know who messed up the city? I'll tell you who messed it up. And it's Lindsay. Lindsay messed up the city. Before Lindsay come along, it was a joy to try. I'll tell you, it was nothing. to drive a camera in this town. Along comes Lindsay, all that stuff, he put all that, you know, all his potholes everywhere else, and the city is going broke. The traffic, the traffic is 50 times worse than before Lindsay was in. Because whoever the mayor is, now, now of course, it's Bean. See, now they're saying Bean. Or whoever's in, it's, 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 it's common. See, so if you read Harry here, Harry Faber, further on down, it says, Harry's Base of operations is in the block on 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. So that's right here in Midtown, you know, that's right where it is. Then it goes on to say, he blames most of his troubles on the current administration, headed by Fiorello LaGuardia. <laughs> Nothing's changed. So Harry and, and, and badge number 37046 is still saying, and whoever's the mayor, he's the guy that lost up the city. So uh, I could just see Harry. They they don't they don't have his actual uh, his words in here. It just says that he blames the mayor. You see, but I can just hear Harry. What are you talking about? This guy in a city hall. This guy that gets What kind of a mayor we got? He reads the comics on the radio. The guy sits there and looks at that. He reads Andy Gump. Well, what we need is a mayor that does something about the traffic. He's running the city. This city used to be really great when we had a really good mayor. You know, so you know nothing's changed. And uh, it's kind of great to know that some things are steady. Some things you can count on. There's a certain continuity of existence. And uh, in the in the July 1939 issue of Fortune magazine, Harry Faber maintains that the reason that cabbing is rotten is because of the mayor. Well, <laughs> just stop the next cab that you you know you you hail and get in and say, how come the traffic is so rotten? And you say, are you kidding? Ever since this guy Beam got in? So uh, you might as well, you know, you have to grab at whatever is around. But it's a beautiful copy of a magazine. But listen to this. You can't, you can't really believe uh, that people would write this kind of thing about the city today. Uh, people really, obviously, in uh, that day and time, they really were different kind of people from this magazine. Here, for example... Uh, there's a, an entire section on the police. It's called 19,000 Cops. Well, I think we've got about 35,000 now, I mean, something like that, but it's 19,000 Cops. And it shows, did you know, there's a picture of a, of a New York City 
patrol car of that period. And, uh, well, I can't show it to you because it's a, it's a little painting, really. It's a painting. It's a beautiful illustration. And it shows a cop getting out of a uh, squad car. But the squad car of the period is fascinating. See it? It was green and white, but it was a coupe. Did you know that they used a, a coupe? I didn't know that. They had a coupe. It's a Plymouth coupe. Uh, and he's getting out of the yeah, coupe, meaning just, you know, a, a front seat. That's all. There's no back seat at all in it. It's just a little business coupe. And he's getting out of this thing, and his partner is sitting in there. And it says, uh, 19,000 cops, a dishonored police department is regenerated by a hard-boiled commissioner. These days, they've got to be good, and they've got to be straight, and they are. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of uh, inspiring. Uh, and here's a picture of Mayor LaGuardia uh, sitting here, and there's like a whole big picture of uh, him sitting down with all of his commissioners. And it says, Mayor LaGuardia, in true schoolteacher form, illustrates a point to his commissioners by using an old-fashioned blackboard and chalk. And you see LaGuardia, he's writing on the blackboard there. And it says, this blackboard is the treasured possession of Mr. Newbold Morris. And it's an antique blackboard that goes back many years. I wonder where that blackboard is now. And uh, uh, you want to hear some more of this stuff? Listen to this. Uh, uh, here we go. Uh, here, for example, do you know that it says that rents in the more posh sections of New York have been known to be as high as $600 a month. Well, they're talking about Park Avenue, you see. Can you imagine what a Park Avenue is? <laughs> and it says, however, the average New Yorker uh, pays far more than his compatriot in other parts of the country. He pays an average of $76 a month in rent. That gives you pause to consider. Now, um, here, for example, I'll give, you, uh, I'll give you other things that are in this particular issue. Uh, there's a whole section here on uh, the WPA and uh, about how much talent is coming out of New York because of the WPA. I had no idea that that was so. But here are some of the ads. Some of the ads are great. For example, here's a magnificent ad for a Packard. And uh, there it is. You see this great Packard, and it's a line drawing. It's a spectacular picture of the Packard coming head-on right at you. And it says, 1939 Packard, the finest Packard ever built. These cars, now reduced in price. Uh, that's something you never read in, in, uh, in any ads for automobiles today. It says, these cars, now reduced in price, are the same spirited, mechanically great, superb 1939 Packards that have thrilled and delighted, quote, the man who owns one. Never in 40 years has Packard received such a torrent of enthusiastic letters from new owners. Ask the man who owns one. And this Packard is coming right at you out of the ad through a long, uh, beautiful road that's uh, lined with poplar trees. Just four years ago, Packard formulated an orderly plan which would reduce costs as to make lower prices a permanent Packard policy. This plan has now been completed. Packard's two great factories have been extensively rearranged and replanned. Many millions of dollars have invested in huge expansion and equipment programs. All of this contributes to magnificent 1939 Packard, the finest automobile rolling on America's roads today. And it was. <laughs> you know what the Packard now cost? If I showed you the price, you would 
you would talk. Look at it. The brand new Packard uh, delivered in Detroit to state taxes extra. This is the Packard 120 sedan, $888. Well, well, (laughs) well, well, well. And uh, you want to hear some of the other great ads. Here, for example, is a classic ad on the back. This ad, by the way, this, these ads are collected by people who collect these ads and uh, have them framed and hang them up. It's a Lucky Strike ad. And there's Lucky Strike cigarettes in the green, the famous Lucky Strike green package with the big red dot in the middle there, the bullseye with the big black thing around it. And uh, their ad reads, uh, Witness statement. It shows a man, see, and he's holding up these tobacco leaves, and he's got his hat on the back of his head with his tie open, and he's desperately looking, and he's swinging his arms, and obviously he's, a, he's an auctioneer. And there's another group of men all looking very serious, and they're obviously about to bid or do something. And here's what the copy reads, and it's all in full color. It's beautiful, that actually, as far as uh, color is concerned. It's an excellent color rendition. And uh, underneath it is this great big yellow slogan that says, Have you tried a Lucky lately? And then there's a little leaf, and in the leaf it's printed. It says, Easy on your throat because it's toasted. And then the ad reads, Witness Statement Series. Apparently this was a series of ads. Top Flight Tobacco Man. And then it's a quote. It says, The finest tobacco of all time. That's what we've had in recent crops. And Luckies always buy the cream of the crop says Jack Rogers, Virginia tobacco auctioneer and a lucky smoker for seven years. And they used to have this commercial, and they went, sold, <laughs> American. And it says, have you tried a lucky lately? Luckies are better than ever because new methods developed by the United States government have helped farmers grow finer, lighter tobacco in the past seven years. As independent tobacco experts like Jack Rogers point out, luckies have always, et cetera, et cetera. And then underneath it, it says, With men who know tobacco best, it's Lucky's 3 to 1. Bum, ba-dum, bum. That was a year, 19. Here's another beautiful ad. They, they really were romantic in the ads. Here's, look at this ad for Plymouth here. This is WOR New York. Look at this ad for Plymouth here, okay? It uh, shows a girl, a woman. She looks like, uh, well, she looks like uh, Priscilla Lane type lady, uh, or uh, Alexis Smith. She's got a hat, and there's an old salt standing next to her. Obviously a sailor. See, there he is. And it's a color ad. See, and he's got a beard, and he's got this sailor's pipe, and he's got a sailor's hat, and he's pointing out somewhere. He's pointing out, and, you, and it's a photograph, color photograph. And uh, their ad is called The Sea Story of the Year. little play on words. S-E-E. The Sea Story of the Year. And there's an anchor. And then the copy reads, Here at the ocean's edge, a girl's eyes are open to new scenic wonders. Out on the western range, a tourist scans broader horizons. In a crowded city, a mother drives her children through traffic more safely. All are enjoying a new visibility, the increased vision that Body by Fisher brings this year's General Motors cars. In the Pontiac pictured, for instance, it adds 412 square inches more to the total glass area. For Body by Fisher gives you the silent security of United Construction, Unisteel Construction, 
Yes, the new Pontiac for 1939 is a work of art. Wow. <laughs> that's, you know, that's kind of great. You want to hear some more? I mean, they've got a lot of great ads in here. And this is the, the 1930. Here's, here's the Plymouth now. Plymouth, the number one car with New Yorkers, says here. Plymouth uh, sold uh, in 1939, of March of 1939, 1,723 cars. They have a little chart, see. Car 2, they don't tell you who 2 is, sold 1,380, and Car 3 sold 680. And that was from the R.L. Polk Records of Sales in uh, General Greater New York. It says, New York, the giant metropolis whose five boroughs are themselves great cities, is definitely a Plymouth town. And it shows a guy driving his brand-new 39 four-door Plymouth in front of the Chrysler building, naturally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's such a beautiful... You know, you see why people collect these uh, these old magazines? They're really, really... Uh, now, here's here's another great one. A new tool has been added, the dictaphone. It shows a... Shows a guy, you know, he's using his dictaphone. It's one of these little ads that's done in the form of a comic strip, you see. And he's buzzing the buzzer. He says, how can any reasonable boss expect you to interrupt important work you're doing, drop everything, and run into his office with notebook and pencil every time he buzzes for you? And at the same time, to be able to do all the typing and filing and intercept phone calls and visitors for him, tell him that he needs the new dictaphone. And uh, it shows a happy boss now talking into his dictaphone. Everything's worked out. Uh, now, here is a magnificent uh, two-double-page spread ad that is a an ad of the Ethel Corporation. You know, they make gasoline. You know, they, it's an additive to gasoline. Uh, Ethel, look at this. And it's all about going to the New York World's Fair, which was apparently the big deal in 1939. There it is, see? And it shows all the various exhibits at the fair. It's a See the World's Fair uh, Go by car. See America on the way. And uh, oddly enough, did you know that Ethel had a radio show? It's funny. There's a, here's a little thing in a little box that says, This Monday night, tune in, tune up time, featuring Walter O'Keefe, Andre Castellanos and his orchestra, and the K. Thompson Rhythm Singers, brought to you by the Ethel Corporation. Ethel, Ethel. And uh, here's an ad for WABC, full-page ad, you know, the radio station, but they had a very beautiful picture of a microphone. It says, uh, WABC is today New York's most familiar commodity. Yes, WABC is the station New Yorkers listen to. And uh, another little ad here that you may find interesting. Playing at the Starlight Roof in July of 1939 was Eddie Duchin and his orchestra. Says nationally famous dance orchestras in world famous restaurants and playing. Yeah, he was at the Starlight Roof and at the Cert Room. These were all at the Waldorf. At the Cert Room, Xavier Cugat was playing. So, uh, pretty elegant. Uh, here is a beautiful ad now. Speaking of ads, here's a magnificent ad for the Studebaker. And uh, they really went in for elegant people in their ads in those days. You know, there's a, lady, a girl wearing a pair of riding pants, jodhpurs. She's got these gleaming uh, riding boots, and she's carrying a crop. And obviously, she's of the horsey set. And you see a tree hanging over the over the car, and she's leaning casually on the hood of the, 
Studebaker, and there are a couple of guys that look like their sideburns are chopped up just about near the top of their head. They really have short sideburns, no sideburns at all. See, in fact, that guy looks like he's wearing a little, a little fuzzy beanie on the top of his head. See, but he's very elegant. He's got a riding coat, and it says, "You get flawless beauty and long-lasting quality at a low price in this restful riding." Studebaker president. Yes, it's a gratifying new experience when you become the proud owner of this good-looking Studebaker President 8 and go for your first long drive. Guests who ordinarily become fatigued after a few hours motoring delightedly tell you that your president is the most comfortable car in which they have ever rode. Yes, if you do the driving yourself, isn't, isn't that a interesting... See where they took the slogan? Did you hear that, Al? There's a, I know, there's a, I know there's a lot of commercials. We know that. I mean, you guys are always throwing me off. I know there's commercials, gang. <laughs> it's like telling me that the sun's coming up tomorrow, you know? So stop it, will you? It says, if you do the driving yourself, catch that? If you do the driving yourself, you find that you end each day's trip in your Studebaker president in tip-top physical condition. It says, write the Studebaker Corporation in South Bend and find out about this magnificent automobile. And then underneath it, it says, a Studebaker is truly a good investment. Actually, let's put it on this basis. If you did own, right now, a 1939 Studebaker, it would probably be worth anywhere from 10 to 25 times what it cost in those days. They were not kidding in the ad. You know, speaking of, of uh, getting back to this great magazine, it's really a fascinating magazine, and uh, it's not nostalgia; it's really history. You know, if you uh, when you look at this thing here, for example, here's a double-page spread of the police in action, and uh, you know, there's a common belief that demonstrations and all that's a kind of a new thing. See everybody, and yet here, 1939, July, is a picture of a giant demonstration, <laughs> and it is, man, and you see the police. All lined up there, and uh, there are the mounted police. It's Troop B of the mounted police. The uh, and they look exactly like they do today. I mean, the you know the horses got four legs just like they got now and all that, and uh, they got those funny looks on their faces. And uh, the police are all sitting there on their horses, very quietly. And you see this tremendous demonstration going on, and all these people are waving red flags in the air. Thousands of people are marching, waving red flags. <laughs> and uh, 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 here's, a, here's one guy's carrying a sign that shows a cutout of Hitler. And uh, it shows a foot kicking Hitler. And the foot is a red, white, and blue foot, like an Uncle Sam foot, see, and it says democracy. And uh, then another guy carrying a big sign that says, Kick the mad dog hard, apparently Hitler. And then one guy's carrying a big sign that is a cutout of a skunk, a, a skunk. And on this, it's just a cutout. It's not painted. It's a cutout of a skunk, painted black. It's a skunk with a big stripe down its back. And the skunk is entitled. It's got his name on it. It says Franco. And uh, the uh, underneath it, the uh, caption reads, New York's cops are under orders to remain neutral in strikes and demonstration. Police without nightsticks or arms passively watch the May Day Parade in Union Square. And uh, this is obviously a big demonstration that's going on down there. And you see people yelling and throwing stuff, and they're just looking on. So things haven't changed that much. But 
Here's a fascinating thing. It's a poem, apparently a, a blank verse poem about the city, written by the, obviously, writers. It's unnamed. It's just the writers of uh, Fortune magazine. Now, all this stuff is coming from an old magazine a guy sent me. It's called Part 4, What is This City? They have five parts in this magazine. One, the people. One, the geography. And this is a kind of one of the more poetic parts. It says, What is this city? In the dawn, when the wind is clean, and the moon falling, and a tug, a half-apparent ghost, glides over the harbor, sighing in her engines. And there is only one car parked on the avenue, and the water flows slowly in the deep mains, and the voices and the wires are few, and there is no sound but the rumble of a single elevated, like a memory. And only the washerwoman and the flickering brain. Then the image of man rides up into the light, between a continent and an ocean, a great rock from which grow the hard things of the earth. Its skin is of brick and granite and brownstone and Carrara. Its bones are steel. Its myriad eyes are glass. The gullets are of concrete that lead in from its open mouths in the Catskills. See, that's the, 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 the big concrete tunnels. Its bowels are of cement and iron, its nerves of copper. The arms with which it clings to Brooklyn are of steel. This is not an image of a man with oxen plowing on the dark slope of a hill in the fresh-turned odors of April. It is not a mirage on the desert, not a dream, not a fancy of poets, not magic towers, but an image on the incomprehensible surface of existence, hard with time as the rocks are the substance of our wills, of that which has come bitterly from the excruciating flesh, the emergent animal, the new creature. This is the image. By the way, that's interesting because they capitalize image, and you know, a lot of people believe that the word image is a new word. You know, they use the word image all the time. Who, with a few petals at his feet, travels faster than flesh and blood, who, with a cup of hard rubber at his ear, hears beyond hearing, or with a stick held intelligently in his hand, flies? Who, with antennae on his roof, can commune with the invisible, speak between the cities, laugh, report news, play music, advertise? Who knows the depth of the ocean as he passes over, and where he is on the earth, and where the rocks are, and the capes and the misty channels? This is the new man they're talking about, of course. This is the image of everything that he is, all his entirety in the air, through the tunnels and the switchyards, gouging mountains, drilling, building, burning coal, lathing and threading, inventing, financing, buying and selling, teaching, the setting forth in symbols of what is known, the exploring of the unknown, the guessing, the beginning over, the creation of new metals, of new explosives, of new levers, of microscopes, of mills for the crushing of steel in the white accelerating strip, of everything that he is, all his entirety, the lust that he has for flesh, the hunger for food, the blundering, the pitiless hard stare across the slums of Brooklyn, and especially, you think this is new in the city, listen to this, and especially the fear. The fear of the poor for the wealthy, of the wealthy for the poor, of the criminal for the victim. 
of the victim for the criminal. The fear of Albany. The fear of Albany. The fear of Washington. The fear of degeneration. The fear of revolution. The fear of the hungry land. The fear of Hitler. And the fear of the image. Especially the intolerance. The pride that rises up against the moon on the morning over the harbor. The overweening. The worship of themselves. The great sickness of New York. Self-worship. Wow. <laughs> you hear that time? <laughs> Do you hear that Newsweek? Do you hear that Pete Hamill? The overweening self-worship, which is the sickness of New York. And their inability to provide for their own city. This is not a god, not an idol, but man himself here, immediately before us, imperfect, violent, and yet insanely proud. If that doesn't describe New York, <laughs> 19, that was 1939, July, out of uh, the New York issue of Fortune magazine. It's a beautiful issue. Boy, you can see that the that the graphics of that period were far better than the graphics of today. Look at this double-page spread reproduction of a painting by Georgia O'Keeffe. It's a view of New York across the city towards Flushing. This over, over here is Long Island City in Queens, and here is uh, the waterfront and the East River flowing along there. It looks exactly like it does now. Con Ed belching smoke into the air even then. <laughs> And here's a great drawing, a great painting uh, by a painter named Doris Lee uh, called April Storm in Washington Square. And it shows a sudden storm hitting Washington Square and the people scurrying around. But Washington Square looked almost identical uh, then as it does now. By the way, speaking of things that are never really as new as you think they are, here's a fascinating picture of the police stopping a boat on the East River. Uh, a small wooden boat. It looks like a rowboat. It says the police are shown uh, stopping a small rowboat in the incessant and never-ending drive against drug smuggling. <laughs> so, <laughs> just thought you ought to know, gang. Anybody who thinks drugs are new, you know, there it is. And uh, this was from uh, the 1939 issue of Fortune magazine. Now you see why people collect these things. You know why they collect magazines. They're really, they're really, uh, you know, they're really fascinating to look at. Here, for example.